Yesterday, uh, Julie and I entered into a new phase of parenting. Yesterday was Josh's graduation, and we no longer have any kids in elementary or middle school or high school. Life is different. It started back in Easter of 1992. I was... uh, doing some narration for an Easter uh, pageant at First Baptist Church of Arnold. I was on staff there. And afterwards, uh, some of my friends were were there, and Julie was there. And they said, hey, we're all going to go to a movie. Do you want to come with us? And, of course, I was single at the time. And, you know, these were college age and about my age kids. and And I said, no, I have to go take care of the ducks. So I was house-sitting for someone at the time, and they had ducks. They lived in St. Louis County, and they had a little lake uh, on their property, and they had ducks. And if I didn't get the ducks in, and they didn't come in before I had to get to church, then the fox would get the ducks. And so she really thought I was blowing her off. Yeah, he's got to go take care of some ducks. So anyway, circle back on, in June of 1992, uh, we caught back up again at a conference at, at Arnold, and I... Uh, we were there all week, and, and I sat by her a couple nights and then asked her out, and our first date was on June the 19th, 1992. And uh, it, was, it was awesome. It went great, and uh, our relationship began to progress. And uh, after a, about a month to six weeks, we actually started talking about getting married. Now, she's the oldest in her family and the oldest being a girl, we did not dare tell her parents we were talking about this yet, but uh, we began to talk. So fast forward, I uh, had the meeting with her, her dad, and when I said, uh, at sitting at the Pizza Inn, uh, Pizza Inn in DeSoto, Missouri for lunch buffet, I said, uh, you know, I would really... Uh, appreciate if you would allow me to marry your daughter. I would like to ask her to, to marry me. And he said, well, there's a couple things you need to know. First off, you need to know this. She's high maintenance. Those were his words. I have never forgotten those words, but those were his words to me. She's high maintenance. So, and then his second word was, I think the answer is yes, but let me pray about it for a few days. So anyway, so I walked away from that meeting thinking he did not give me the blessing and he really just told me his daughter was high maintenance. So I don't know. I mean, is he, is he giving me an escape route here? You know, December 19th, 1992, I was digging through some boxes last night and I have boxes of cards that Julie has sent me and, uh, Some of them are, she was working in an insurance agency. Some of them have Spencer Auto Glass in green on the top because working at an insurance agency, they got freebie, you know, notepads from Spencer Auto Glass. And uh, she would always, you know, address them different. Sometimes it would say brother buddy and she'd mail it to me. Of course, we didn't have texting and email and, you know, to talk from Arnold to to DeSoto at that time was was a toll call. So... Kids don't even know what a toll call. I can use that with y'all. All right. I can't even I can't even tell this story second hour. I mean, everything just breaks down. Why didn't you text her? You know, why didn't you email? Well, we didn't have any of that. December 19th, 1992. I'm going through 
a box last night, and I find on, written on a yellow legal pad, uh, piece of paper, it says, December 19th, 90, 1992. I can tell by a sequence of events that has taken place, and tonight we're going to Olive Garden. I know that you're going to ask me to marry you tonight. All right? She gave this to me later. What she didn't know, and that was the, the night... But my mom was watching my nephew and niece that night, and my brother Lee was playing with my nephew, and he hit my brother in the eye with a dinosaur, a plastic dinosaur. So I had to take him to the hospital while my mom watched the other two kids, and so I had to call her up and say, sorry, we're not getting together tonight. So anyway, but at least she saved the piece of paper. She had guessed it. But a couple of nights later, uh, we had dinner at a nice restaurant in Kimswick with her uh, company or with her, with her work. And uh, we met at the church and I uh, came back to the church that night and the Christmas lights were on. I think it was December the 23rd. And I walked her down to the front of First Baptist Church of Arnold and sitting about right here, I popped that ring box open, and I asked her to marry me. Since then, we've had, you know, three boys in Memphis, and then Josh born in Atlanta, and hundreds and hundreds of hours of parenting. And I will not lie that over the last couple weeks, I've gotten a little misty-eyed a time or two, just realizing that this phase is now complete. If there's anything that can get me choked up, and I told Julie, I said, I have just wept during sermon preparation all week this week, not necessarily over the text, but just over the reflection of everything that has just gone on in our life, and especially this weekend. But we see that as Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, one of the major areas that he's going to hit for us as new men, new women who've trusted Jesus, is that we should have a family that looks a little different. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Colossians chapter three. We're gonna pick up in verse number 18 and read down to verse number 20. Colossians chapter three. Actually, verse 21, we'll read to It says this, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children. The word fathers there is, it could be parents. It's used in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 23 to refer to uh, Moses' parents, okay? So this is not just fathers, but this is parents. Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And with that, let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to, today to, uh, to talk about the family. And I, I pray that uh, you would encourage and that you would challenge, that you would just renew our heart for you, our heart for our church family, our heart for the family that you've given us here. In your name we pray, amen. As we step into Colossians chapter three, be mindful, Colossians one and two, doctrinal. Colossians three and four is that application section. In verse number nine, he tells us to put off the old man, Colossians three, nine. And then in Colossians three, 10, he tells us to put on the new man. Then in verses 12 through 14, he tells us the virtues that we are to put on, that we are to put on tender mercies and kindness and humility and meekness and long suffering and to bear with one another and to forgive one another. And 
then he says, and above all of these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Then he slides on right through with that thought. And he says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And then in verse 16, and let the word of Christ dwell in you deeply. And then in verse 17, and the things that you do, do them all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then he starts on this message to wives, husbands, children, and parents. The, the picture that Paul is, is driving home to us is as we put on Christ and as we are a new man or new woman in Christ, then we should have a new type of family. Ours shouldn't look like the world of that day. Now, Remember, we're talking back in the first century as Paul is writing, and as he's writing to this church at Colossae in the Roman Empire, uh, the family dynamic was not anything comparable to what it is today in a relatively normal family. Often, uh, men could, could be a, a very harsh, and women were just kind of looked down upon in that society where children often were, were uh, either, you know, uh, we don't really want to see you, hear you, you know, just kind of do your thing until you got of age where we can put you to work kind of a situation. It was just different. And Paul, as he writes, he says, look, I, I want you to have a new understanding on your family. Not only are you in a new family, the body of Christ, but I want you to show a difference in your family because of Christ. Now, he starts here with wives and husbands. And when someone comes and says, you know, hey, I'm thinking about getting married or what, what are the things I should think about before I get married? I always say there's three big questions that need to be answered. The first question is this, who will be my master? I mean, who am I going to answer to in my life? Am am I going to sit on the throne of my life or am I going to entrust the Lord Jesus and, and, and do what he wants? Who's going to be my master? The second question I think is very important is, is what will be my mission? What am I supposed to do while I'm here on earth? Is life just about making money? Is it just about working up the ladder? Or is there something greater? Am I called to live for someone who can not only make a difference here on earth, but for eternity? Do I have a greater purpose than than just raising my kids and getting them out of the house? Does God see and look at me as one, a man or a woman that is on mission today? on mission to impact people with the gospel of Christ and touch their heart and life for eternity? Who will be my master? What will be my mission? And then that third question is, then who will be my mate? And the challenge is, is we have to be able to answer question one and two before we answer question three. Because when we answer, when we try to jump into question three and we're fuzzy about one and two, then there is this immediate chaos that can form in the husband-wife relationship because they can be on two separate tracks altogether. If his mission is to, to make money and his master is the company, and his goal is to rise up the corporate ladder and, and hers is to, to raise and nurture godly children and to have a tight-knit home where her husband's home with her and they can be partners in parenting. They, they may not have the same 
same master and the same mission. So it's important that we get these first two questions answered before we jump into question number three. So Paul has a word for wives, husbands, children, and parents as we think about this aspect of harmony. And he starts with us as husband and wife. And he starts with the wife. And I was teasing somebody out in the hall. I said, I'm just going to spend all my time preaching to the wife today so I don't have to deal with me. All right? So anyway, but let's jump in. He says, here's the word to the wives. And the word is the word submit. Now, oftentimes in our, in our society today, this is an archaic thought in many uh, of the minds of today. This is, this is degrading and chauvinistic. But the picture is in Scripture is that wives are to submit. I mean, when we look at Jesus in his life, he submitted to the will of the Father. He said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus modeled submission for us. And here, when we talk about submission, we're not saying that one is smarter, greater, better in any of these uh, ways at all. Instead, submission is pictured as a a willingness to yield. It does not mean that a, that a woman is any less. Matter of fact, uh, sometimes uh, our wives are much smarter. And it doesn't mean that wives become a doormat and that they are degraded upon. That, that's not the picture at all. But the picture is, is that when there comes a decision between a husband and wife, that God ultimately he puts the man as the one who stands accountable before him, uh, that that's, the man stands accountable before God, and that his wife then is to follow. So, so listen, ladies, there's great freedom in submission. I mean, there's great freedom in that, if you understand it. I, I, I picture it this way. When I was on staff at First Baptist Church of Arnold, and there was a problem, I just went to the people that were above me. I never had any problems. I was free. And then I just came back and said, well, this is what they told me to tell you, or this is what they told me to do. Great freedom. Now, for the last 25 years, I've been a pastor. And... Can I tell you, there's much more responsibility and there's been many more sleepless nights and much more time on my knees because I'm the one who has to make that decision. And it's, it's hard. It's challenging. And can I tell you, wives, if, if your husband makes the wrong decision, this is what you get to do. Duck and let God get him. I mean, just duck and let God get him. That's, that's the joy and the freedom that you have in this. But let me... It's, it's interesting, he starts with wives and the word submission. I, I don't think in the last 28 years, Julie and I will be married 28 years in about two or three weeks. Uh, I, I don't think in, in 28 years of marriage that we've talked about submission, unless it was talking about this verse or, or Ephesians 5, we haven't talked about it in, in any kind of conversation at all. Matter of fact, there have been times when my wife's gotten a little feisty with me, and I've needed it. I shared about three or four years ago the story when we moved from Mississippi to Georgia. Uh, a church had contacted me in Georgia, and they wanted to, to meet. The, the search committee had wanted to meet with me. So we took off from, from Olive Branch, Mississippi. We drove about 90 miles and had a blowout. And it, it shook me. I mean, it really did shake me because I was a little nervous going over there anyway. Just, there's just a lot of emotion when you think about leaving a church, and, man, you've poured your heart into this church. So I'm going just over 70 and man, I have a blowout in the front right passenger tire, 
and when that thing blew out, I've got Luke, Joel, and Micah in, in the back, and it, it nerved me up. I mean, we got it over to the side of the road. We had a conversion van at the time, and got it over the side of the road, got the tire changed, went to Walmart, and they were going to put a new tire on, but it took, took some time. Then we drove about another 90 miles, and we had a flat. And uh, so again, we had to stop by and get the tire uh, fixed again, and it took a, a long time. We were in a three or three and a half hour trip. It took us like eight hours that day because we had spent so much time on the side of the road uh, while I was changing the tire, and then uh, in in Walmart while we were getting the tire changed. I mean, it and. and so we took off the next day and met up with some friends. We're pulling into North uh, Atlanta, and I have another, I have another flat. Crazy. So our friends were with us. They took care of it. We met with the uh, search team chairman that night, and then I preached somewhere on that Sunday morning. Well, I preached, and we were on the north side of Atlanta, headed to the south side after I preached, and I mean, I just, I let it loose and gave everything I had, and as we're driving, we have another, another tire issue and have to stop again. So by now, I am in Walmart, uh, and we have had uh, one, two, three, this is our fourth, our fourth flat or blowout since we've been on this trip. And I'm like in Walmart saying, look, man, let's just get in the car and go home. I mean, this is crazy. I am ready to stop. And that's when my wife, even in front of my kids, said, we are not leaving. All right, now she, she needed to get feisty with me, and she did, all right? We are not leaving. We are not letting the devil give us victory on this. We are not going. Now, see, that's, that's what I needed to hear. That's what I needed at that moment. I needed someone to say, quit looking at the circumstances and look at the big picture here. And then we ended up going down and meeting with the committee that night, and the Lord called us there, and we spent 10, 10 years there. But I didn't tell you we had one more blowout on the way home, too. Anyway... We had five on that trip. So everybody in Mississippi thought, man, God's telling you, you better not go. And everybody in Atlanta saying, hey, man, the devil's trying to keep you from coming. So anyway, I'm, you know, it's just a, a, one of those crazy instances uh, in, in life. Uh, but as we think about wives, ultimately when it comes down to this point, there is a, uh, a yielding. Uh, when it comes to that ultimate decision that has to be made. 99.9% of the time, Julie and I can talk, pray, work through an issue, and we are on the same page. I don't think there's probably been three issues in our marriage that I've really had to say, no, we can't do that. We've got to do this. So wives submit. Secondly, there's a word to the husbands. And the word to the husbands is husbands love your wives. So you are to show love. Now, now this is much more challenging because he shows us the word love and gives us the word agape love. The word agape is that picture of sacrificial, unconditional, eternal love that God showed us in the person of Jesus. It was that love that went to the cross. Christ loved us and, and went to the cross for us. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, is what he says in Ephesians chapter 5. And he gave his life for her. Husbands are to love. And when we get this picture in our life that we are to be willing to, to die to our dreams and our hopes and our time and our energy to meet the needs of our wife, that's the picture that we start to understand. Yes, this is what God is talking about when he tells husbands to show love to their wives. But it's interesting because he not only says husbands love your wives, but then he adds 
and don't be bitter toward them. I find that interesting. And, and if, if this wasn't a problem with us men, I don't think God would have had to mention it. But often in our life, we, we have this tendency, and all of us can have it, but we as men can really have it, that we can pick out the faults in our wife and excuse our own. I mean, when we're driving down 70 and there's a guy who's speeding and weaving in and out of traffic and we say, man, that guy, he's no good. He's terrible. He's going to cause a wreck. But then two days later when we're running late to work and it's us driving like that, we excuse ourselves because we're late to work. Now, we wouldn't cut anybody else any slack. But when it's us, we know why we're doing it, so it's easy for us to excuse why we're doing it in our mind. So he says, husbands, do not be bitter. Instead, the picture and the positive would be show grace. Show grace. Often, when we let bitterness come and reside in us, then bitterness begins to rule in us. When bitterness, we allow that to reside in us and we begin to harbor this, oh, I see her faults and I, I, I see all the things and all my expectations of, of what she was going to be and they haven't matched exactly up the way that I want. Instead of showing grace, we can be critical. He says, don't be bitter. If you let bitterness reside, bitterness will rule And as bitterness begins to rule, then it will well up like a spring, like a root of bitterness, and it will defile you and defile many. Guys, we need to take a chill pill. I I, I know some guys who are bitter, and bitterness has led to unforgiveness. Bitterness has just brought an increase in selfishness. The challenge for us is as we have received grace, we need to show it. When you look at it from this angle, when you want to criticize your wife's choices, why don't you look at who she married? Show grace. Thirdly, he then speaks to the children. Now, as we have the word to the wives and the husbands, then he turns and says that children are to uh, obey their parents. Children are to be welcome members in our household. Children are, are to be welcomed with great joy and, and a blessing. And we recognize uh, that the Lord, that, that our children are truly a blessing from the Lord When Esau and Jacob finally met together, Jacob talks, and and Esau, they, they talk about, and these are the children that the Lord has blessed me with. Often we look at, at, at children in, in our day as, oh, you don't want to have too many, you know, uh, you, you, man, they're expensive. And, and they are, but they are a blessing, and they are welcomed into the family. Now, he gives a specific word to the children. 
And the first is a word of command that they are to obey. The word of command in, in obeying means that they are to follow up under, that they are to, to follow instruction, that they are to walk under the guidance of their parents as they walk through their life. The, the, the command is, is, is clear. As, as we look at this, he, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, stutter, stammer, or, or in any way. Children, obey your parents. So that call. <laughs> the call from the Lord, obey your parents. And he says in all things. Now, obviously, in all things would give the picture that, that we as parents would be watching out for their best interest. There are times when, when a, a, a parent may ask a child to do something against the Lord, and there we appeal, as Acts teaches us, we appeal to a higher authority, as Acts 5 teaches us. But the call for children is to obey their parents. Now, let me just throw this back to us as parents first, though. Because we want our children to obey, but they need to see obedience modeled in us. See, when we as the parent and, and, and the godly authority over our children are telling them, you need to obey your parents because God's telling you to, let me ask, are we obeying God like he calls us to? Are we following his instruction? Are we living under his authority? It is often hypocritical for us to, to look at our parents and say, you better obey me, but I'm going to do my own thing when it comes to my spiritual life. I can live however I want. I'm the dad. I'm the mom. We can do what we want. So the picture that God lays out for us is that we are now new men and new women in Christ. We have put on a new wardrobe and we are walking in a new way with the peace of Christ ruling in our heart, with the word of Christ dwelling in our life, with this heart that says, whatever I do, verse 17, Jesus can sign off on that. And so coming and bringing that to the parental portal and saying, parents, here's the call. You obey the Lord, and then you lead your parent, your children, so that they obey you. Now, obedience doesn't always come easy. Our children are naturally selfish. I mean, you can go down into the nursery preschool area this morning, and 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 you get the picture of of our sin nature as it comes out. Because a child uh, is playing with a toy and then he walks away from that toy and someone else picks up that toy and all of a sudden, child number one wants that toy back again. It's, it's just sell, and they'll, then they'll go push that kid down so that they can take the toy back. But I had it first. But you left it. But still, I own it all. That's, that's the picture. So our children are welcomed into our family as the children, not as the rulers. So there is the call to obey, and we have to teach that. Then there is the consequence that comes with that as well. The call is, is that they are to obey their parents. And then notice what it says. This is well-pleasing to the Lord As we think about children and 
the call to obey and then this this consequence that when they obey, it's well-pleasing to the Lord. I must just throw another word to you parents that are out there. Successful parenting involves doing the right things, leading the right way, giving the right instruction. But it does not guarantee that your children are going to follow that way. I mean, as parents, we're responsible for God. But there comes a time when your children have to take that step to say yes and walk in this obedience to the Lord themselves. So as parents, we do what we can do. We walk in obedience to the Lord. We teach them the right things. We bring them to church. We want to build in their spiritual life. But there comes a time when oftentimes we we think, man, you know, uh, how come that happened with this kid? I, I taught him better. I did better. Think about Cain and Abel just for a minute. I mean, Cain and Abel, same parents, same environment, I'm same same peer pressure together. They they lived all together, same heart of mom and dad, and yet Abel, the righteous one, brings this sacrifice to the Lord, and Cain, his brother, kills him. I I can't explain that. I can't explain why two kids coming from the same home could turn out so differently. But what I can say is for us is we need to teach our children to obey. But ultimately, it's going to fall upon the accountability and responsibility of the child to obey so that they can be well-pleasing to the Lord. The final word then is to parents. And he says this, speaking in the, in the masculine term, the fathers, but it's, it's speaking a, a broader context to the, the parents. And he Paul, Paul makes it interesting because he says, do not provoke them. There's the problem of provoking your children. How, how do you provoke your children? Well, there's lots of ways to, that you can provoke your children, that you can, you, you pick at them, that, that you, you cause them to come to this point, we're going to look at in just a minute, that you discourage them, cause them to lose heart. Let me just share some thoughts on how to provoke your kids. Expect too much and put too much pressure on them. Compare them with their siblings or other kids. Be overprotective. You, you want to provoke your kids? I mean, don't let them out of your sight when they're 20, you know? I mean, eventually, they, they, they're going to have to fly and be free. Often as parents, we, we can provoke. Sometimes even just this aspect of, of controlling too much holding too tight, holding on too long. So that our children, as they're developing in their maturity, need to experience freedom that comes along with that. The problem of provoking. Yeah, the problems can be real. Your child is unique. We have four boys, they're all very unique. Their personalities are are different. Uh, We have introverts and extroverts, morning people and night people. 
We have that in our marriage, morning people and night people. Man, I like to get up early and I like to be loud in the morning. And uh, Julie reminded me I was being loud again this week, by the way. But I was singing along with Alan Jackson, some of those hymns that he sang, all right? So, man, I was belting them out, all right? Uh, you're so loud. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm loud. She's not near as loud as I am. She talks a lot faster than I do, though, if you ever talk to her. So we're just different. And your kids are different. And can I tell you, your grandkids are different. And so comparing this one to this one and pushing too hard or controlling too much, these are all things that can provoke. And then he gives the picture of the the disaster of discouraging them. Don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. They lose heart. They lose their their, uh, sense of value before the Lord. Then they lose this connection often with family and this connection in their spiritual life. Don't provoke your kids. As uh, we think about parenting, I've said for for many, many years, you know, that uh, I'm right in the midst of of the, the challenges that go along with this. And now, as of yesterday, we have a new phase in our life. No more students Now we have college men, and uh, we have them beginning to leave the nest. It's a different, different world. But even when your kids leave, and though your parenting becomes different, your prayers may become even more of a priority. They're on their own. They're leading a family. As we think of the transition that many of you have experienced and are watching your grandchildren grow up now, I want to encourage you, just as husbands are called to love their wives and wives submit to their husbands, let your marriage shine. Let the joy of your marriage show through. Don't, don't be the, the kid that just hears grandma and grandpa bicker all the time. They, they don't have all the history of the past 45 years, all right? They know, every, you, you know everything's good and you can just pick at each other. They don't know that. They need to see the new man, the new woman, with the character and Christian virtues of Jesus being exemplified in their life, standing together till death do us part. Family harmony. Because of Jesus in us, our life should look a little different. Our family should look a little different. And that family then is to shine as a light in the world around us.